A new experimental technology allows strong-minded individuals to enter the dreams of coma patients in order to ease their troubled minds and try to wake them. But when a vicious serial killer ends up comatose, the FBI has no choice but to use this technology to go into his mind and find where he hid his final victim, who may yet be alive. The clock is ticking, and options are few. So social worker Catherine Dean agrees to go into the mind of a killer. What she finds is horrifying, powerful, and unlike anything she has ever seen. Today's topic is an artistic horror sci-fi thriller from 2000 that came and went despite financial success, The Cell. I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, listeners. Hope you're staying safe in your homes during these trying times. We finally decided to stop meeting up in person and are now doing the show via Skype. So far, it's working out just fine, and we will be using it much more in the near future. One day soon, you may finally get to meet the elusive Caleb Leger and Josh Allred. <laughs> For the time being, we're taking a break from the book of Filmgasm. During the quarantine, we'll only be doing films that we both have easy access to. Once this all blows over and we can get back to our usual routine, we promise to resume the random picks from the book. The Cell will be our last random pick for a while. If you guys have any suggestions of films on streaming that you'd like us to cover, please feel free to shout them out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or email at filmgasm at gmail.com. We are open to anything that's available on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Shudder, uh, we have Criterion Channel, Disney Plus. Uh, we've got pretty much everything. HBO. So, you know, get creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we have it all, man. Yeah. Fantastic. So I've got one update on the rewind for you. It's a sad update on episode 24, Jaws. Actress Lee Fierro, who played Mrs. Kintner in Jaws, has passed away at age 91 from complications due to coronavirus. In addition to playing Mrs. Kintner, Fiera was a beloved theater teacher in Martha's Vineyard. She will be missed. And, uh, yeah, just another unfortunate casualty of this crazy shit. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, um, obviously lived a very, very long life, which is great. Um, but to see to see that on the news is just so odd, right? When you're, you're yeah. reading, you're used to seeing stuff like, uh, you know, so-and-so celebrity however, you know, 80 years old or whatever, passed away from, you know, from complications or whatever, or, uh, you know, cancer or something. But to actually see that virus up like on the TV and the celebrity's name next to it is, is so, so mind boggling. And I'm not going to get used to it anytime soon. That's for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, it's weird because some people, you know, have like a mild cold and, you know, come through with it. You know, they go, they uh, pull through. Some people are rushed to the ICU. Like, it's it's a very strange disease. Unpredictable as hell, yeah. And, uh, like, I know that uh, Boris Johnson, the UK prime minister, he's in the ICU right now. Yeah, but yeah. But J.K. Rowling is in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Tons of athletes have been, yeah, gotten tested, had it, a bunch of, you know, soccer players, basketball players. It's crazy. So it is crazy. No one's immune yet. And like you said, it's just, it can kind of attack in all kinds of ways. So it's just the unpredictability of it, you know, it's just, it's really wild. It's crazy, and it's it's weird to live like it's weird living through this and having it 
it's inundating every aspect of our lives. Like we can't escape news of this shit at all. And no, like, or, like, or or being yeah. affected by it personally in just your day to day life. Yeah. Yeah. Like hell. I mean, yeah. literally today we were just talking about it. Like I I just got laid off from my job because of yeah. this. <laughs> and, um, You're the last yeah. one of my friends. <laughs> that was that was working. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh this is crazy fucking times, but the show must go on. <laughs> Filmgasm will not stop. And we got we no. got an interesting one today. Yes, yes, we do. So this was both of our first time seeing The Cell. Yes. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. When that happens, when you and I have not seen a movie and we do it right here, that's the best, man. <laughs> it is the best. It's fucking rare, but it is the best. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, had you heard of this movie before the podcast? No, but I was shocked to see how much money it made. I know. What in the hell? And I was like, Mom, did you know about this movie? You know, I was five when it came out. But I was like, Mom, do you know anything about this? You know, J-Lo and Vince Vaughn? Like, do you know? And she's like, no, I don't remember that. Like, what? How the hell did this movie make all that money? I don't know. It really it really does not add up. It's just one of those, like, I guess people at that time were hungry for weird sci-fi, I guess. I don't know. I saw a trailer for this at a pre-show at Draft House for something. I don't remember what I was seeing. It I it had to have been some kind of like going into somebody's mind movie. I it wasn't Inception because I didn't I didn't see that at the draft house. But it was something. And I saw the preview for this as part of the pre-show and I thought that looks like a weird movie. And I was right. <laughs> it is very very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um not typically something in my wheelhouse even really but i i quite enjoyed it i quite enjoyed my the first go at it i'll, I'll probably rewatch it at some point i had a, I, I yeah I, I agree this is very much not my kind of thing either because i i hate art films like with a passion yeah i struggle with them I, I i yeah i have a weird relationship with them i usually love them you know like i um there's like some obviously like david lynch is a guy i love and he has some stuff like that some short films and but I'm not when it's when it's just that all the time and you can't really do anything else. It's just not not for me, you know. But yeah. uh, this is this is just so fucking out there. It's awesome. Well, I need a narrative in order to enjoy a film. That's a big part of it for me. That's kind of like 90 percent of a film's enjoyment comes from. Is it a compelling narrative? Am I into this story? Do I like these characters? Yeah. And if you don't have that, you're not going to win me over. But this movie almost didn't have that and then found it it's a very interesting way to do it. like i was expecting to hate this yeah you know? okay that's that's a really good point i think i think the reason i liked it so much when it ended i was like huh they made me really care about those characters yeah, uh, w- yeah. within it within a pretty short time for i think the movie's an hour and 47 minutes uh i it didn't, didn't really feel like that and I, I actually felt a connection to both to, to all three of the main characters, I would say, meaning J-Lo and the both of the Vinces. <laughs> uh, that, you know, I, I felt like a connection to all of them. Like, uh, I kind of understand these people. And that, that's that's rare to do in this a movie like this that you said. It kind of starts out like, uh-oh, what the fuck is this? And then <laughs> about 30 minutes in, you're like, okay, I'm in, I'm in. And then an hour and a half, and you're like, oh, my God, you know, I'm the stakes are fucking high, you know? So, yeah, d- definitely, definitely creeped up, creeped up on me for sure. You know what I think the the movie I saw I think it was Immortals. Oh okay okay yeah. Because it was the that, same director. That that would definitely make sense. Didn't he do I Am Legend as well? 
No, he, or he did didn't. He, or did he write it or something? I, I feel like he had a hand in that one. We'll look he might have. Yeah, we'll look it up. Um, the guy's name, the director, Tarson Singh. Yeah. He was known for directing music videos until his directorial debut with The Cell. Uh, he also had a hand in... Let's see. Tarsim Singh. He... And, uh, no, he had nothing to do with I Am Legend. <laughs> I don't know who I'm thinking of. I don't either, but he hasn't done much. Um... He some of his later work includes 2006's The Fall, 2011's Immortals, 2012's Mirror Mirror, and 2015's Selfless. He also directed ten episodes of the failed NBC series Emerald City. So he's he was a music video guy who wanted to make a movie, and his movie ended up looking a lot like a music video. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Lots of slow motion. Yeah, late 90s, Nine Inch Nails kind of thing. In fact, that was a big influence on on the movie, the Nine Inch Nails music videos and the work of H.R. Geiger, the guy who came up with the alien design. Yes. So, yeah, you combine both of those, you get this weird, ethereal, sci-fi, like, torture look. And it's a, it's a good look. I got to say, I'm surprised this movie didn't get a nomination for art direction. Yeah, me too. And actually, um, did you know Roger Ebert gave it 100 of 100? Yeah, it was one of his favorites he, of like, the year. He thought it was like one of the best movies of 2000. Yeah. He had such a strange taste. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he's he's bizarre. Yeah, I mean, he gave Speed 2 Cruise Control like three and a half stars. Like, he really liked that movie. <laughs> so strange. You never know what's going to resonate with people. That's why I love film so much, because, like, I could watch a movie and think this is absolute shit. You could watch the same movie and think that's awesome. Roger Ebert could watch the same movie and say... You know, four stars, iconic, ma- absolute masterpiece. And we would all be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, yeah, it's such a great, always changing, always evolving method of entertainment. That's why we do this. Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, the reason I, I Am Legend came to mind, there's a guy who helped on the screenplay of that movie. He just has a similar name. They're just, <laughs> it's just a close <laughs> name to this guy. That's how much Was I'm his... on IMDb. <laughs> Uh, I'm always seeing stuff, and I'm like, oh, does that name look familiar? And I'm just always on this app, man. What's that guy's name? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's spelled, the first name is spelled almost the exact same. <laughs> oh, well, you know, close. The last, name, close the last name, no. You know, we got this guy's Singh, so that's that's how I'll remember it. I'm curious. I'm going to look this up. <laughs> I am legend. What's your favorite Jennifer Lopez, uh, like, performance? Oof. I don't have one. <laughs> I just put you on the spot. Is it this? I don't like her at all. I do. <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, I like a few of her performances. Oh, like yeah. Her. Mark, Mark Protasevich, the guy who wrote The Cell, also wrote I Am Legend. That's OK. That's what I. there's your connection. That's what I'm. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so no, no directing connection, just writing. Yeah. So, since you brought up J-Lo, the film stars acclaimed pop star Jennifer Lopez as Dr. Catherine Dean, a troubled social worker who becomes determined to help the little boy that represents the dark killer's innocence. In addition to being a highly successful musician and Latin icon, Lopez has had a substantial film career, 
including getting her start on the cult favorite sketch comedy series in Living Color as a fly girl. The dancers at the beginning of the show. You ever watching Living Color? Yes, I have. <laughs> it's a hilarious great. show. I used to watch yeah. it all the time when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. My favorite sketch, um, you'd think it'd be Fire Marshal Bill, because I, I love Jim Carrey, and that was funny as hell. Yeah. But for me, it was the criminal who liked to use big words that didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So good. Oh, boy. That yeah, show, is, that, got, is that on anything? Like, on any streaming? It might be on Hulu. That's I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I haven't watched it in a long time. I've got the first three seasons of it. Nice. It's a, it's a funny show. It got overshadowed by a Saturday Night Live, but it was a jumping off point of, you know, the weigh-ins, Jim Carrey, Jamie Foxx. They all got started there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, J-Lo went on to star in such films as Anaconda, Selena, Out of Sight, The Wedding Planner, Enough, Made in Manhattan, and most recently Hustlers, for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe. I yes. have seen none of those movies. <laughs> I've seen, I think, all of them. Uh, I would highlight Hustlers, the most recent one. She's very, very, very good in that one. Uh, it's an okay movie, but she's very good. And then Enough. She's awesome in Enough. Uh, and then Anaconda's fun, just like as a monster movie, you know. Um, yeah. Ice Cube's Ice Cubes there. That's great. So, um, But, yeah, no, she obviously is not, like, the best at choosing, <laughs> choosing great movies, you know. Um, She's definitely well, she doesn't more, really need to. No, no, she's more of a pop star than anything, you know. That's yeah. um, she's yeah known for her dancing and hustler. She kind of combined all of that stuff, and uh, to me, which that's smart, you know, use your talents as good, you know, as best you can, and put them in an exciting movie, and it it worked. You know, the movie was a hit, and she was up for Golden Globe. So, and I actually think she like deserved a spot over a couple of ladies that were up for Oscars, along with, you know, our girl from the, the farewell. You know, she got. She got snubbed, too, so it happens. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think, like, you need to see her <laughs> her filmography, Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> but but, she, but it's exciting, you know? There's there's fun movies in there. Well, I know that Anaconda and Enough are both in the book, so one day we'll be yes. able to do this. Yes. But, uh, honestly, I don't see myself ever seeking out her work. I just, I don't no, like her as a person, no. and I don't like her music, and I don't think she's a very good actress. So you combine all of that and... There's like, oh, well. no reason whatsoever me to ever see her again. Yeah, yeah. That's to- <laughs> totally fair. Uh, Vince Vaughn stars as FBI agent Peter Novak, the man in charge of the Starger case. You've seen Vaughn, some of his movies. Oh, I'm a big fan of Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Vaughn is an acclaimed comedic actor with a surprising dramatic side as well. He has yes. appeared in such comedy classics as Old School, Dodgeball, Wedding Crashers, Swingers and Anchorman. He's also appeared in dramas like Hacksaw Ridge, Brawl in Cell Block 99, Dragged Across Concrete, and Fighting with My Family. And uh, he also played Norman Bates in the 1998 Psycho remake we briefly touched on in one of our past episodes. Yikes. (laughs) That and The Cell were uh, two films he chose to kind of get out of the comedic bubble, kind of branch out and... uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, Swingers, which I love Swingers, it's a great Swingers movie. is great. <laughs> uh, you definitely definitely put a title or like a label on him and John Favreau, right? So I I don't like the the picks necessarily to be to be like, oh, I'm gonna be in this this remake of Psycho, 
and then the sell seems like two like weird picks, but I do respect it that he like really committed to it and took two really strange roles, you know? Uh, yeah. And I think did well in one of them and did not so great in the other. And, and then, and then had this unprecedented run that you mentioned those, I mean, old school's 2003, right? They have dodgeball, uh, wedding crashers, anchorman. Good God. Like that middle that, you know, mid two thousands, he's one of the guys, uh, right up there with, you know, Will Ferrell and, John C. Riley and those cats. He's he's right there. Yeah, for sure. And um, I heard he. I haven't seen Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine, but I heard oh, he was on a completely different dude. level with that one. Dude, you would love that movie. Oh man. <laughs> well, yeah, God knows well, I've got the time now. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, that'd be a fun episode, man. That's a that's a killer movie. Yeah. Right on. I think I think Vince Vaughn is really good in this. Uh, I, I do. Yeah. I, this is the one I think he's good in. And I, I'm, yeah, I'm just not a fan of that psycho as we talked about. That movie it's, is it's garbage. Rough. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> but you got to have a hell of, I think I brought this up in the episode, but you have to have a hell of a set of balls to remake psycho. <laughs> yeah. And you got to have a, a hell of a set of balls to play Norman Bates. But to do it that way, to just not do anything your own, use the same script, the I same know, camera angles. It's yeah. ridiculous. Well, like, yeah, I mean, the the scene with the cop is, like, laughable in the remake. It's like, what is going on right now? Just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Nah. We'll do the Psycho remake one day just so we can shit on that movie, and it'll be fun. <laughs> it, it, it is, like, for, for people who love movies and, like, obviously have the time now, it is kind of a fun watch just because of the people who are in it. You're like, what the hell is going on? Why? <laughs> And, and you're just like, wait, are they going to take this, like, word for word from them? And you're like, yeah. And it keeps going. Like, it just doesn't stop. And the movie ends. You're like, oh, my God. I just saw I just saw a shitty version of a 1960 classic in color. Why, why did I do that? You know, it's kind of it's kind of just funny. It's like what we do. At, you know, big, you know, people, you know, movie buffs. It's just what we do to ourselves sometimes. It's true. Just torture ourselves. So, I don't know. <laughs> if you have the time, go for it. <laughs> Well, I'm always it's always hoping that you're the one person who likes the movie, that you find something in it that nobody else saw. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that there's that logically that's not going to happen every time. Some some movies are just doomed. <laughs> yeah. Like Psycho from the late 90s. <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio stars as Carl Rudolph Starger. A vicious killer who rules the mindscape that Catherine must venture into. D'Onofrio is a highly respected character actor who has been in the business for over 30 years. Some of his more notable performances include Full Metal Jacket, Ed Wood, Men in Black, Jurassic World, and as Wilson Fisk in the short-lived Netflix action series Daredevil. I fucking love Vincent D'Onofrio. He is one of my favorite actors. Yeah, oh. definitely, definitely the most talented of the three we're talking about right here. You can um, always count on him for a just bonkers fucking performance. The guy gives it it all, no matter how shitty the subject matter. The guy always get delivers. Yeah, um, real quick, the Full Metal Jacket performance is one of the first performances, like singular performances from someone. You know, because when I saw the movie, I had no idea who he was. Right, um, I barely knew who Stanley Kubrick was when I first saw Full Metal Jacket. Because it's one of those you just watch when you're younger because it's just fucking epic, you know? Yeah. And I, that that performance, I remember knowing, even though, like, 
I wasn't like super into film at the time. I, I must have been like 13, 14 when I first saw it. I, I knew what I was talking about, but not totally. And I knew that that was great acting. I had no idea who the guy's name was. I didn't know his like previous work. I didn't know what else, you know, I didn't know his filmography. I just knew that that guy played that character very, very, very well. And then that kind of, that kind of helped me move along. Like not just, don't just look for the Leonardo DiCaprio's and the Ben Affleck's, you know, and the big giant names and the Matt Damon's look for the, look for the, the Vincent's who are out there who are like really pushing themselves. And, you know, like you said, it's like over 30 years now of work and you kind of forget how many movies he's in <laughs> as you look down, you're like, Holy shit. He's in that. Oh yeah. You know, he's just, and he's consistent as hell. Always, always, um, like you said, always kind of going out of the box. And I, I love him in the cell. He completely com- like disappears. I, I don't recognize him with the long hair. It looks fucking crazy. Uh, and I, I was like so drawn in when I first saw him doing his whole bit in his truck. And he's like at that barn, you know, you're like, Oh, who is this fuck? You know, he just, <laughs> he just, he, he just grabs you, you know, he grabs your attention right away. It was, he's an uh, awesome performance in this movie. For sure. You know, when you when you were talking about Full Metal Jacket and how it spoke to you, I had the exact same reaction to his performance in Men in Black. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Edgar the Bug. One of my that's that's easily my favorite D'Onofrio performance. I love Edgar the Bug. It doesn't even feel like him at all. He doesn't feel like a human being in that movie. He does it so well. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Just like, that's our kind of guy. You know, we, we love yeah. the, we love the character actors and he's, he's definitely one of them. One of the oh, better without ones. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, yeah. I couldn't say enough about Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. and his performance yeah. in this is fuck scary. And we're going to get into that in a bit here. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It's lights out. Oscar nominee Marianne Jean-Baptiste plays Dr. Miriam Kent, the doctor who co-runs the experimental tech. Jean-Baptiste was nominated for her performance in 1996's Secrets and Lies. Yes. She also appeared in the RoboCop remake and honestly not a lot else. Yeah, I actually what I know her from is uh, the British television show uh, Broadchurch. Who was she in Broadchurch? Was she in she, she's one of the, she's the prosecuting lawyer, you know, that's trying to get uh, Have you seen the whole show? I saw the first two seasons. Okay, so yeah, she's she's at the end, she's you know, she's the lawyer who you know, gets him, in, you know, gets him into prison. And broad she is, isn't she? I remember I'm tr- her. I'm trying not to use like names or anything because I, I know someone wants to watch. <laughs> I understand. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm using like very broad. Yeah, <laughs> that this one is not guy. the place you'd expect to get Broadchurch spoiled for you. <laughs> no, and broad, I I will stand by that show. You know, every day that show is fantastic. You know, I I really like the performances in that show. So you know, and she's great in it. Killer. I'm going to have to revisit. I'd like to finish Broadchurch. I watched the first two seasons. I really liked it. And I just never, I was waiting for season three to pop up on Netflix. And then when it finally did, I had gotten caught up with other stuff and I just forgot about it. I totally understand. I've done that with a few shows myself. Finally, Dylan Baker plays Henry West, the other doctor who runs the machine. Baker is another, I know, right? (laughs) Baker is another character actor who has been in a ton of films, including Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy and past Filmgasm episode topic, Trick or Treat. So, yeah, another guy we love who just pops up all the time. Yeah, yeah, and he's great, man. He um really he really makes sense in this kind of world as, like, as like someone who works in a lab, you know? he I totally buy it. You know, I, I bought it in, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man's. You know, I bought it. He's, like, 
you know, he's a professor. I totally, I, I totally buy into all that. He, he makes sense in that environment. One of my biggest regrets with the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans is that we never got to see him become the lizard. I know. That's like, that, <sighs> that is one of my biggest, like, what ifs, like in my movie, like, you know, mind, man, I really wish you could have gotten one more Sam Raimi, <laughs> one more Sam yeah. Raimi movie. The more I look into his like his rumored Spider-Man four, it just sounds insane. Had, well, yeah, because uh, yeah, I know I yeah, I could go on and on about Spider-Man. <laughs> he was gonna do like Malkovich was gonna be the Vulture. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Campbell was gonna be Mysterio. Like it was gonna be so cool. I know. I know. Damn. What it could have showed him. Instead, we got those two Garfield movies that just kind of float out there in nothingness. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know anyone who likes those movies. <laughs> I, I know I, I know plenty of people who have watched them because they're Spider-Man movies. You like feel yeah. like you have to. You have like this, you know, this attachment to the characters. You're like, oh, I want to see how Garfield does it. And it's not really his fault necessarily. Those movies are just just hot, hot garbage, man. <laughs> no it's one's like, care of them. It's like you've got so on one side you've got Tobey Maguire's. I like his Spider-Man movies. I think. Spider-Man 3 is not great, but it's got some good moments. And you've got Tom Holland's awesome Spider-Man movies. And in the middle, you've got Garfield. He's like, it's like two pristine pieces of bread. And in the middle, you've got a rotten piece of ham. Like, I don't want to eat that sandwich. (laughs) And and like with Garfield, it makes no sense to me because all his other choices are so like interesting uh, throughout this decade. You know, social network, silence, uh, under the Silver Lake, 99 Homes, Hacksaw Ridge. Why the fuck are you playing Spider-Man? <laughs> Same with Emma Stone. Like, why is she yeah. there, too? What were y'all doing? And Jamie Foxx is in one of those? What are you guys doing? <laughs> it makes no sense. Those are hilarious, though. Those are, be fun to, like, yeah. They'd be fun to, like, really dive into, because I haven't seen them both since, like, theaters. So We know. could do a Weird Shit Wednesday on those two films and just rip them to shreds. Well, yeah, we, we did something similar with the Joel Schumacher Batman films. We might, you know, I'm going to put that on the calendar because that would be fun. And I think we, we have access to both of those. So. I own, I own every Spider-Man movie, which is by default because he's my favorite. So I have them. <laughs> my family bought both of those movies. So I got their digital downloads. So I've got there the codes go. in my Voodoo account. So that's how we're, I. We're all set. <laughs> we might do that. <laughs> Perfect. So the sale has an IMDb score of 6.3. Rotten Tomatoes score of 45%. Oof. Yikes. It grossed $104 million on a budget of $33 million, and it was nominated for one Oscar for Best Makeup. Yet this movie completely vanished. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I had never like heard of it. And what you said, you, you saw like a preview at, at a draft house. Um, it just does, that doesn't scream $100 million at the box office to me. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. It's so, so weird. Bizarre. I mean, like, who did Tarsum Singh piss off for this movie to just be buried? Because that's got to be what happened. I mean, it was a financially successful. Roger Ebert gave it a glowing review. It got an Oscar nomination. Like, this movie should be at least, you know, casually known. But this movie is completely unknown to modern audiences. It's such a weird turn of events. Yeah, I. so my oldest brother, uh, Adam, I've mentioned him on here a few times. He's... He's 28. He'll be 29 in the fall. And I was like, hey, we're doing the cell. Like, I was just kind of joking with him. And he's like, what the hell is that? You know? 
And I had to like explain to him. I'm like, I, I, I told him just Jennifer Lopez and Vince Vaughn. He's like, what year? <laughs> I was like 2000. He's like, when, when, how? <laughs> you know? Cause he's like, I, cause he would have been, you know, he would have been 10 at the time. He's like, that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> That's great. That's the, yeah. the kind of reaction, you know, people would have to this now. Cause exactly. I'm what I watched it and I'm like, you know what? This isn't terrible. Like I can, I get why people would, why this was a success. I mean, this is the kind of movie you tell people like, you should probably see that. That's an interesting watch. Oh yeah. Like if I saw it in theaters, I'd be like, dude, Connor, I think you dig this, man. You know, I would like, it'd be a big time word of mouth. You're right. Yeah. Well, let's find out why this movie resonated so much with us. Let's go into the plot. Let's do it. So we meet child psychologist Catherine Dean, who is an expert in this treatment for coma patients. It's experimental. It's a virtual reality device that allows her to enter the minds of people who are comatose, and she can attempt to coax them awake. Now, she's never actually woken anybody up, but uh, they're hopeful. Her current patient is this kid named Edward, who has been comatose for, I think, his whole life. Yeah. So sad. And yeah, uh, uh, yeah like that. Oof, talk about like setting the tone. It is like so dark and so depressing. The first 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Big time. Well, we we see her in his mind, his world, what he envisions as his mental dreamscape kind of. And it's this desert and he's holding a, a boat and she thinks that. Getting him to go sailing is the next step in waking him up, and she can't get him to go sailing. And uh, she has an argument with his parents who are beginning to wonder if this is worth it, if they're making any progress at all. Catherine's convinced that they are going in the right direction and that this is going to work. But the parents are like, I don't know about that. They think these are just drug-fueled delusions, that nothing's really happening here. So the team is kind of having to sell this work to everybody who they come across because nobody believes this is really work. This is really happening. This can be pulled off. And after we meet her, we go to this research. Uh, we go to this underground lair where we meet serial killer Carl Rudolph Starger, who is performing a postmortem ritual on his latest victim. And this was a hell of a left turn. <laughs> It, this is I think I, I, I had texted you when I first started it um, yesterday and I was like, oh, you know, I'm watching the cell. And I just I texted you like, yeah, like 10 minutes in. I was like, wild direction. And whew, boy, was I wrong. It, it's insane direction throughout the entire film. Yeah. The, the, the decisions that were made, like you said, look a lot like a music video, the slow motion. And then the actual turns and narrative are incredible to me. I love stuff like that. I love jumping from one extreme to the other. I think that's, that's a really effective way to start a film. Yeah, for sure. It definitely had me engaged. I was wondering like, where, where are we now? What the hell is this? I, I definitely was like, uh Oh, like, cause I thought maybe this is gonna be one of those movies that just is like, uh, you know, just kind of a mess, but yeah. no, 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 it's, it's stuck to it. It's really stuck to its guns. He is Starger is, uh, his method is he captures young women psychologically tortures them in this big tank and then drowns yeah. them and bleaches their corpses white. Jesus. Finally, he puts a collar around their neck, making them symbolically his possessions, turning them into dolls almost. Yeah. 
and he's I think five or six victims in and uh Patrick Peter Novak Vince, uh, Vince Vaughn has been hunting this guy down and uh he thinks he's close but it was so creepy when Starker goes into the room and there's just a woman in like in water just kind of like pickled and then oh. she moves and he freaks out <laughs> Jesus and, and his hair man Ugh. I can't get over that <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty weird he is on a completely different level like he was the only one who read the script and was like okay yeah. let's do this <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio uh, playing a serial killer I mean could you get a like a better oh my god <laughs> combination of weird yeah it's just you know what's the term artist and medium like just the perfect union there some actors are born to play monsters and i think vincent d'onofrio is one of those guys yeah so starger now needs a new victim so he's in the process of stalking and kidnapping a woman named julia hickson and that was just brutal when he got when he grabs her in the parking garage it was too real <laughs> Yeah, but you like, oh man, that was really good direction as well. Just kind of the the camera right behind her shoulder, and you can kind of see the whole parking garage. You're like, ah, fuck, where is he? You know it's coming, you know? But it's just that the power of the actual execution of the scene is so scary and so so frightening. Ah, God, yeah. Fucking Starker's a scary dude without having to say anything. (laughs) Well, when we we meet Peter Novak, he's... He and his partner, and I'm not making this up, his partner's name is Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Uh, that's funny. Uh, they're investigating the latest body dump, and who should pop up but fucking Dean Norris? <laughs> Dude, I, yeah, I was waiting for that moment. Oh, my God. I didn't know <laughs> Hank Schrader was in this movie. I didn't oh, want to yes. tell you. No, I know, I know, and I didn't want to bring it up until we actually got to <laughs> Yes, and he looks exactly the same. He looks the exact same. I mean, granted, the cell started eight years before Breaking Bad started started uh, airing, but uh, oh my God, he's like playing the same character. <laughs> See, but Better Call Saul season five is airing now, and Hank's in I that. I know, I know, oh, and he know, still man. looks exactly like that twenty years later. And he's still like, oh, he still has that same effect, man. Like I saw him, I watched The Firm, and he he plays like a real minor character in that. But I just anytime I see him, I just fucking freak out like in old movies because I I love him so much in Breaking Bad. He's always a cop. It's so cool. Like in Terminator 2, he's he's one of the SWAT guys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, He's the man. He's the man. (laughs) So Novak and Ramsey yield a break in the case. They find dog hair on the body. And this dog hair belongs to a very rare breed of albino dog. And the breeder remembers the guy he sold the dog to, and that's what gets them to Carl Starger. Yes. Yeah. Great police work. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, really good stuff. And, and, and um, the urgency from Vince Vaughn is, like, there the entire movie. He's oh, yes. He's a good cop. He's a great cop. And uh, authorities learn the identity of his home, of the killer. They surround Starger's house. And we've seen Starger do some twisted shit. We've seen him hook himself up to like a harness that has hooks go through his back and just hang him over like a, a woman to just kind of like, I don't remember why does he get off on it? It's just part yeah, of his, yeah. 
Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jennifer Lopez at one point says that like schizophrenic people like to suspend themselves because it makes them feel like they're floating, and so it's like a f- oh, it's like a form of peace and yeah, and like pleasure, I guess. I don't know. It's really bizarre. Oh yes. I mean, it's but we just we watched like a month ago Itchy the Killer, so it's like eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Our this threshold. Is, this has is gone nothing. Up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before they can make the arrest, Darger has a seizure and slips into a coma. Doctors diagnose him with a very rare neurological disease and declare that his condition is irreversible. He will be in a coma forever. <sighs> Damn. That's got to fucking hurt for Novak to finally get the guy, and then he's out of your reach forever. Yeah. God, I can't imagine. Jesus. So, <laughs> um, meanwhile, Julia, the victim, wakes up to find herself in Starger's glass case in this under the under the, the uh, ground of this like weird silo in the middle of the desert. And uh, even with him gone, he has everything on a timer. So she's going to drown anyway. He's got, you know, random bursts of water to keep her awake. It's really fucked up. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be so scary. That's yes. a life changing. Oh yeah. I think it says 48 hours. That's a life changing 48 hours. If you, if you uh, manage to escape that. Oh, very much. Yeah. Because you, you're just, uh, I mean, that would go by so slow. Just the powerless feeling of not being able to get out. And like you said, you can't like fall asleep and try to just like, ah, uh, I mean, because the water keeps coming. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's torture. Well, and she's, you know, saying to herself, this isn't happening to me. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Man. Very real. Ugh, yeah. And uh, Novak finds out about uh Catherine and her work and so she gets starger i mean they get they get starger to hit to her team and they try to convince Catherine to go into starger's mind and find yet yeah, where he left julia and they have 48 hours or she's gonna die Catherine agrees to do this and she goes into starger's mind and <laughs> jesus i can't imagine walking into the mind of somebody this fucked up <laughs> and Oh, man, does the film just fucking start getting real good at this point? Because some of the imagery in there, in his mind, oh, man, is, is like, ingrained in my brain already, you know? It's just, that stuff was frightening. Oh, straight up. The image of him, like, with an endless cape and, like, sitting on a throne of gold, like, that is... Uh, <laughs> I've never seen a god complex more perfectly like, illustrated. <laughs> Yeah, oh, man. Really? So bizarre. (laughs) So, obviously, this guy's psyche is just broken. And she meets the boy, Carl, who is too scared to talk to her because he's afraid that his dad is going to beat him. And, man, it's sad when you find out, you know, how Carl was a product of, you know, his home life. It wasn't, he wasn't born bad. He was made. And uh, adult Starger rules this world like a like a god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, another adult version of Carl. This is going to be a little difficult to explain without having actually seen the movie, you guys. So 
If you yeah. haven't seen this, I recommend watching it first and then listening to this because there's going to be a lot of ins and outs, a lot of what have yous. It's going to be tough. Yeah, but so uh, all what's happening is Jennifer Lopez is literally literally walking. You know, it's like she's in a video game is how I kind of looked at it. But she's yeah. yeah in this mind that Carl has created for himself. So yeah, it's like she's she's risking her own her own like mental sanity and you know psyche for the sake of like going into this guy's just completely fucked like you said complete psyche and uh yeah the fact that it was kind of molded like you said by his by his father it seems uh is is truly yeah truly disturbing and you start to feel for Catherine's character at that point you're like man what do you do like do you have sympathy for this person do you immediately try to get get it out of them where's julia that kind of thing it's just so such an interesting place for a character to be <laughs> Catherine's in the mind of a serial killer who's in a coma <laughs> and well, and for know, the it's audience just, it's wild well for the audience it it forces you to care about carl it forces yes. you yes. to look into who he is beneath the monster and it's really tough to accept with yourself that you're sympathizing with this guy you shouldn't at all you should yeah. despise this motherfucker but you 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 feel bad for the kid it's really weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a very strange, but it's 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 like a powerful filmmaking device. You know, it's it's a powerful way to keep the film moving and keep me interested, especially. Yes, yes. So another adult version of Carl starts talking to Catherine, and he's the one who tells her that dad abused him, and he shows her how he began to kill women as a way to kind of make, you know, be powerful over something else. He wanted yeah. to be strong. And Catherine tries to nurture Starger's innocent side, but the psycho murder monster starts thwarting her at every turn, and that Starger takes control, attacks Catherine, and enslaves her mind. She becomes convinced that this is real, and if you become convinced that this is real, you're you're trapped. Which is, again, that's like uh, one of the main themes of, the, of this movie, The Cell, is if you believe it, it can be true. And again, like I've said that a million times on this podcast, I love that part of horror and that part of sci-fi and fantasy. If you believe it in your mind, it is true for you. Maybe not for everybody, but for you. And when she uh, when she breaks that like point, you're like, oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, boy. When he grabs her hand and she just starts screaming, you're like, oh, shit, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Damn>. So, <laughs> yeah. Novak volunteers to go into Starger's mind and rescue her. And I, I knew that was coming, but it was cool to finally get confirmation that that's where this was going. Oh, yeah. When you're like you're waiting for Vince Vaughn to like get in the action, you know, you're like, oh, come on. Like you want him to go face to face with Carl. Like, let's do this. <laughs> but he is um he's not prepared for, for this at oh, all. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a like. Catherine's been doing this for years. You have to have like supreme mental focus. You have to know the difference between reality and the dream or you're going to break. And Novak yeah. does not have that. He, he has, no. but there's no other choice. He's the only one who can do this. <laughs> so he goes into Starger's mind, but he gets captured immediately. But Catherine is the one who helps Starger capture him. She's like his pet now. Yeah. Yeah. She like, you know, seduces him and like kisses him. And Vince Vaughn's like, no, this isn't real. Like, what are you doing? This, you know, this isn't right. And then uh, that that part when, you know, his intestines are being pulled, pulled yeah. out 
And he's like, no, this isn't real. And that's when Carl's like, this is not real. <laughs> oh, that was frightening. Yeah. He looks like a uh, fucking lizard. It's creepy. Uh, dude, yeah. He really, uh, it had the same effect that Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker. It's like, who is that under all that shit? You know, like, who, who is that? <laughs> it's easy to see why this got nominated for makeup because, yeah. Oh, yeah. It totally makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I personally think like the production design is just spectacular. Oh, for sure, man. I would have given D'Onofrio best supporting actor for this shit. That, this is... Yeah, that too. I would have to really look at the 2000, but yeah, like off the top of my head, you know, he, yeah, he's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Oof. So, uh, Starger gets put in a very vicious torture. <laughs> and, um, We'll talk more about that in the Filmgasm Facts, because I've got an in-depth explanation of what that is, and it's real. It's real. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I figured, yeah. I figured, because it comes up later, yeah. And uh, she, Carl's getting, I mean, uh, Novak's getting his intestines kind of rolled out of him, and he gets through to Catherine by talking about uh, her brother's accident. Which uh, landed him in a coma, I think, and got her to get into this line of work. Yeah. It's been a few weeks. I think that's what she was talking about. The, yeah, the, the, that's, that's correct. Yeah, I watched it yesterday. That's right. The original uh, pl- the original s- script had him telling her that she got an abortion in college. And that's why she – but, you know, this was 2000. You couldn't talk about those things. <laughs> no, no. You could be blatantly <laughs> racist in movies, but you couldn't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was only 20 years ago hard to believe i know i, I know man it, stuff has changed a lot yeah it's all about context yes exactly that, that's exactly right context is it so Catherine overpowers starger stabs him in the back and uh <laughs> she doesn't manage to get carl to talk before she and peter get out of the sesh but Peter is able to remember a symbol he saw in the dream. It's a trademark associated with some equipment, and that gets Novak down the right track. Through that, he's able to track down Starger's underground room, and he finds Julia just in time to save her from drowning. Thank God. Yeah, no kidding. I was like, please, make sure we get this part done, you know? I know you guys yeah. are inside his mind, but we need to make sure Julia gets gets the fuck out of there. So with Julia saved, Novak's part in this is done, but Catherine... She's not done. She feels an obligation to heal uh, Starger's innocence. And the only way for her to do that is to reverse the mind link, which is incredibly dangerous and has never been done before. Instead of going into Starger's mind, she's going to bring Starger into her mind. (laughs) And uh, yeah, what she does is she presents a paradise for this young kid, but the murderous side came with. He's always present. It's the most dominant part of him. And it manifests as this serpent snake man. <laughs> it's freaking. Bleh. Yeah. But but this time, this is Catherine's world. And she wrecks his ass. <laughs> ah, it's good. She's Catherine. Ha- yeah, it says right here, Catherine has all the power. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she Yeah, she wipes him out. And uh, but unfortunately, you can't kill one without the other. They're linked because yes, they're, you know, Starger's a fractured soul. So in order to kill evil Starger, she has to kill young Starger, too. So she 
yeah, she decides to drown the, the boy because he equates drowning with being saved because he his father <laughs> nearly drowned him in a baptism. Jesus yeah, Christ. that was that was that was a crazy, uh, pretty horrific image that when they go back to that, and they show him as a kid. Oh, man, that stuff was brutal. Oh, for sure. Anybody who equates religious dominance with, you know, parenting is a absolute fucked up monster to me. I, I that is the most that's the Ugh. most terrifying kind of like evil mom or dad you can have in a movie is the religious overbearing domineering parent. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So Catherine creates a pool, drowns the boy, his soul finds peace, and Starker dies on the table. And uh, because they were able to use this tech to find Julia Hickson, the technology has some new credibility. And Catherine is hoping she can use the reversal technique to help Edward finally. But unfortunately for Novak, the uh, he's been put on leave because they think he went too far. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame. But you get the sense that she, uh, Catherine and Novak are going to see more of each other. They're going to live on, you know, there's going to be a relationship that forms out of this and, uh, they're going to need each other for the crazy, you know, shit that they've been through with this. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I would, I would love to see a, uh, prequel to the cell about Vince Vaughn, um, his character dealing with, dealing with Carl prior to like what happens here in the movie. So dealing with those first like five kills, right? I, I just I really want I really want more of Carl. I uh I want another I want another movie that offers up like more time to him that character because he is so scary. I wanted more. It's fucking terrifying. I, I would totally be down for that. So here's some filmgasm facts. Number one, Vincent D'Onofrio later admitted that his wife refused to sleep in the same bed with him for two weeks after seeing his performance in this movie. Wow. <laughs> she it scared the shit out of her. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh. Number two, and uh, we talked about this, in one of the most positive reviews for the film in contrast to its mixed reception, it was named by the late Roger Ebert as one of his top ten favorite films of the year 2000. That's high praise. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I, I actually read that whole review uh, yesterday. It is, It was pretty amazing. Because, you know, every now and again it is fun. It's fun to read his stuff because he just – has so much to say about stuff he likes. And, yeah. Uh, that that sometimes that's good for for me as someone who likes to also talk about films. It's like oh, it's it's just really nice to hear like a an intellectual opinion about something when it first came out. You know, that's uh, I like that a lot. Oh, for sure. I've always respected Roger Ebert's opinion. It's oh, he's a, he was a big part of why I uh, wanted to do it myself. Talk about film. And because uh, his negative reviews are some of the funniest shit I've ever read in my life. Uh, number three, screenwriter Mark Protasevich. Uh, I, I can't do that guy's name. <laughs> Mark Protasevich has disowned the film. He said that the final film barely resembles his original script, which huh. went under several rewrites from other uncredited screenwriters and Warner Brothers New Line executives. He says he's not proud of the final result and hopes that someday the film can get an improved remake. Whoa. 
I, I you Damn. know, I'm sure that ha- I'm sure that happens more than we'd like to admit uh, as oh, yeah. fans, uh, you know, at the studios and stuff. But that that's really crazy that he thinks or knows that his original script is way different and thinks it's better. I would love to see that. Would love to see that. Yeah, I think this movie came out too early. I feel like this would really excel like around now, especially after like the Inception crowd and everything. I feel like going into the mind would work here. But then again, you know, this came out a year after The Matrix. So maybe, yeah. I don't know. Uh, number four, the torture method Carl places Peter in was an ancient torture device known as the intestinal crank. The conscious victim was tied to a table where an incision was made to the abdomen wide enough for the torturer's hand to fit inside. God. The small intestine was then separated from the bottom of the stomach with a hook and attached to a crank. God, my stomach hurts just saying this. Slowly, the crank would turn, pulling out the intestine from the gut inch by inch. The victim and those witnessing the torture would see anywhere between 9 to 18 feet collect around the shaft of the crank. This was used to gather information from criminals, though as soon as the process started, there was no point in stopping. No one survived the crank. People died from a combination of extreme pain and blood loss. Jesus, that is fucked up, man. But fascinating. It really is. Yeah, those those that's the stuff you like to see and implemented in in horror movies, man. No horror movie will ever be able to top what we've done to ourselves in hit, like throughout history, man. Ugh. Oh yeah, no, no, that's that's very true. Ugh. So I give the cell a seven. It's a yeah, decent I, flick. I, I give it an eight. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit disconnected and pretentious for my taste, but ultimately entertaining. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, it definitely definitely has a couple couple holes that could that could be filled, but uh, overall. I enjoy all the performances and I, again, the, you know, makeup and production design, the way the, the atmosphere of it was, was, was really cool for me. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I'll, the Carl Starter character, I probably won't ever forget. So that's, that's a big, that's a big deal to me. That's true. That's a good point. So what are we doing for Friday? Uh, Fridays, we're talking about going into the mind, uh, uh, there's a movie that came out, you know, you just mentioned it, it came out a year before this. I feel like it's just we got to and it's not in the book of filmgasm. So it's got to be The Matrix. <laughs> the Matrix. Oh, yeah. hell one yeah. The, you know, one of the best through and through sci-fi movies of all time. Um, I have one question for you before we even record that uh, for Friday. What is it? Is it John Wick for you or is it Neo? <laughs> oh, fuck. On the spot, going yeah. in hard. Oh man, uh, it's it's got to be John Wick. Oh, see, I thought you'd be a Neo. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love I, Neo, but John Wick is. There's not a lot of us left. There's not a lot of Neos <laughs> left out there, you know. Um, it's just, I, I think I'm just for me. It's the quality of the films. Yeah, all yeah. three and John it, Wick movies are fucking gold. Yes. Matrix two and three have problems. Major problems, yeah. Whereas, like, I, you could make the argument that John Wick 2 and 3 are better than the first one. You could even say that, and I wouldn't be, you know. I, I think the second one's my favorite, but I love them all. And The Matrix, that's just not the case. But that character, oh, man. And I was just so young when I first saw it, you know, compared to John Wick. Uh, it's just, yeah, I'll always attach him to Neo. But it seems like John Wick has kind of stolen the, as far as characters for, for Reeves, he's kind of stolen the, the torch. 
Well, next year we're going to get to see just who filmgoers love more because The Matrix 4 and John Wick 4 come out on the same day. Yeah, so I that's going to be so cool to see. Like, who's going to win? It's the the final well, decision. Well, for me, for me and you, it'll be a draw because we'll probably see them back to back. So. Yeah, yeah. There's, most, I'm not making most, a decision there. I'm seeing them both. Yeah, no. Decision. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a decision I want to make, nor will I make. So. Oh hell. So we're doing Two The Matrix tickets, on Friday. That'll be that'll be very fun. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it had to happen at some point, right? Oh, for sure. So let's see what happened this week in film. A lot happened. Uh, Lorne Balfe has replaced Alexandre Desplat as composer for the score of Marvel's Black Widow. Pretty late in the game for such a change, considering it was supposed to come yeah. out in less than a month now, originally. But I guess now they're changing gears. Uh, Mulan has been rescheduled to open July 24th. Black okay. Widow has been pushed to November 6th, taking over the spot previously held by Marvel's Eternals, which has been pushed to 2021. In fact, because of the production halt, Marvel's entire Phase 4 has been postponed. Bummer. Yeah, uh, you know, no one wants to see that. But um, I do like that those decisions are being made so far ahead of time and things are being – like those decisions are being made very safely, you know. Um, there's no point in pushing your Marvel movie. You're going to make your money. You're going to be okay. Uh, the safety is obviously what – with those giant movies, like the, like the Bond one being pushed, that got pushed first, right? It went all the way back to November. It's like, yeah, because that's going to be a worldwide event where everyone's going from all over the, the goddamn planet. So I, I totally get it. It sucks. It's frustrating. But I prefer this over some stupid thing happening with people going to see, you know, whatever movie. You know, that's just not worth it, you know. So I do yeah. like, the preca- I like the precaution. I like how, I, I like, in advance they're doing things uh, in the movie industry. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just sad for us because, you know, again, we could say this over and over, but, but it's true. Going to the theater is kind of our escape from our, our own like reality. So it's yeah. just tough. It's just tough when that's taken from you. When you know, I think, you're. I think Disney's being a little optimistic with July 24th. I, yeah, I, I do so. think, yeah, yeah, that's, that is only like two and a half months away. Yeah. I really hope that we get some semblance of reality again, but. This is all hoping like this is all uh, counting on the movie theaters opening back up. Exactly. And if that ends up not happening, Mulan will probably be pushed again. I, yeah, I would bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it probably will. That's just, yeah, mm, not trying to be pessimistic, but at the same time, be realistic, you know? Yeah, uh, it's good stuff. But again, um, I encourage people, you know, we just did an onward one this past weekend. Um we're, we're going to try to do as much, you know, current stuff as we can if stuff gets released. You know, that's just how it's going to be for the time being. Speaking of, Disney has decided to drop Artemis Fowl right on Disney Plus instead of chancing a theater release. Oh, I Because it was going to bomb. Yeah, it was going to okay. bomb. I guarantee you. Oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, who, does anybody even know what that is, you know? <laughs> I, I've, been ho- I've been waiting for that movie for years, and that's the garbage I'm going to get. What yeah, a, yeah. I'm shame. We're yeah, going to do that thing. movie just so I can unleash this shit. Cause oh, I yeah, have, yeah I'm with you. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, Ant-Man 3 has tapped Rick and Morty's uh, writer Jeff Loveness to pen the screenplay. So Ant-Man 3 is going to – they're going for you know another com- comedy on their hands, and I can't wait. Ant-Man 1 and 2 were awesome. Yeah, yeah, those are underrated. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, this was hilarious. Ron Perlman revealed that he once pissed on his hands prior to shaking Harvey Weinstein's hand once at a party. 
Winner. <laughs> Winner. I love Ron Perlman. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, I'm just that, man. That is awesome. Oh, and what a piece of shit. And this was before he even knew about the uh, the sexual uh, deviance. He just didn't Perl- like him. Harvey, yeah, Harvey Weinstein was, like acted like a complete shit on a phone call and told him, like, well, you better make sure you you shake my hand out of respect. And Ron Perlman's like, oh, don't worry, I'll shake your hand. <laughs> covered, in, <laughs> covered in my urine. What oh, that's, oh, man. What a, I don't want to. He's not a class act, but he is. He's a rock star. I love Ron he Perlman. Is, he, he's Ron fucking Perlman. Yeah, that's who he is. <laughs> oh, boy. There's a remake of Night of the Hunter in development at Universal. Matthew Orton, writer of Operation Finale, is penning the script. I've never seen Night of the Hunter, but I've always wanted to. I've heard it's one of the best horror films of the 50s, and I, I would love to do that on the show one day. Yeah, no, we need to. It, it definitely is one that I've had like on. My, I have, you know, I, you and I both have like a huge list of movies we want to see, and that's yeah. been on there for that's been on there for a few years. Yeah, oh, for sure. And um, you know, I think with uh, with the Invisible Man, a lot of classic films are going to be optioned now for remakes. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll do a good job. I mean, Invisible Man was great, so we'll see. Uh, isn't it great to have like all these like specialists? like really skilled uh, directors working in horror. Isn't that awesome? Oh, it's fucking great, man. It's a renaissance. I love it. Yeah, it really is. It's like, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It's really cool. It's a wave. It's a whole wave. The horror wave of the, you know, the 2010s is, uh, is still going strong. It's great. Yes, indeed. Next up, and this was upsetting. Uh, Warner Brothers is considering replacing Ezra Miller as the Flash after a video surfaced of Miller choking out a woman outside a bar. Good like, Lord. Yeah, the guy just kind of went fucking crazy, started choking a woman, and was kicked out of the bar. But, yeah, his career just took a big old hit. <laughs> yeah, and he already was someone that was, like, on the fringe, it felt like. You know, uh, wasn't quite there yet. Like, uh, wasn't quite famous yet. Yeah. Uh, but but was on his way, maybe, you know, with the with uh, the Flash character. Ah, that sucks. It's really sad. I, I will always love his role. Uh, as Patrick and Perks of being a wallflower. And then um, and then we need to talk about Kevin. He's fucking great. And so, yeah, that, that sucks. Yeah, apparently he's completely nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder how they're going to... I've watched a lot of, like, interviews with him. He seems like a really cool guy. So I'm kind of like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> I don't know. First off, what the hell is he doing at a bar with the quarantine going on? That's That was my first question, too. And, like, and who's the lady? Like, is this someone he knows or is just some random person? Yeah, Apparently, they were. it was two women goading him into a fight, and I guess he took the bait. Oh, man. Don't you hate? That's that's just stupid from all, from every yeah. angle. Just go home. But I'm, I'm wondering how this is going to affect Fantastic Beast 3. Oh, yeah, because he's one of the stars of that, yeah. Not only that, but he was about to have a huge part in it, and I'm wondering if they're still going to keep that. Well, I didn't even, I still haven't even seen the second one. It's bad. Well, yeah, really because of your reaction, I was like, oh, I don't think yeah. I'm going to see that, man. I refuse to suck any franchise's dick. If you have a bad movie, I'm going to say it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't oh, care. Yeah. About, yeah. Whereas we, we also did a podcast praising all eight Harry Potter films, so. Yeah, we're both clearly big Harry Potter fans, and uh, that hasn't changed. I love those movies to death, but Fantastic Beasts 2 is is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And finally, and this this was sad, Bond girl Honor Blackman has died at age 94 from natural causes. Blackman was known for her role as iconic Bond girl Pussy Galore in 1964's Goldfinger. She will be missed. She's one of the most iconic Bond girls in the franchise. And uh, yeah, it's just a a damn shame. I think, didn't you uh, watch that film yesterday? I did indeed. I watched Goldfinger yesterday in her honor. Still fucking great. Still one of the best films in the franchise. Yeah. Yeah, I love it to death. Goldfinger's a masterpiece. Hell yeah, dude. (laughs) Hell yeah. Have you ever seen Goldfinger? Oh yeah, that's one. That's one of the. To me, that's one of the essential ones, right? Um, you have to see that one. I think. It is. I miss. I'm missing like how many other twenty. Five. Twenty with twenty five. I'm. With I no I'm time missing, to die. I think I'm missing like six or seven altogether. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. They're all good in their own way. I like all yeah. the Bond films for different reasons. Yeah. No, I have not been disappointed by any of them. They've all been entertaining as hell. And uh, yeah, I had like moments that are great. And then like Casino Royale to me is just like um, pretty much a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. It's it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's mine, too. Of what I've seen, it's just it's a spectacular like thr- a thriller. Yeah. I don't even know. It's great. But Goldfinger is credited with being the film where the Bond franchise finally came into its own. Yeah, yeah. And uh, still holds up. I mean, it's a little rapey, but it still holds up. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> it's a little rapey. I think we said that with, um, what was the one? Didn't we just do one not that long ago? Oh, Live and Let Die, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, think, That's, you said, uh, I think you said yeah. rapey a couple times. <laughs> Bond blurs the line of consent quite a lot in the 60s and 70s. It's, yeah, uh, and indeed. It, it gets rough sometimes rooting for that guy. <laughs> he, he would be in a, in a heartbeat, James Bond. Um, <laughs> well, that is that is all for this week. Thanks for sticking with us through these trying times. Skype is a saving grace for us, as all we want to do is continue to deliver content as often as possible. There may be some occasional hiccups, audio issues, the occasional internet outage, but we're trying our hardest to keep this going. We're doing our best. Yes. Next week... We're tackling a creepy but mildly forgotten horror flick from 2012. When a true crime novelist moves his family into a house that a family was murdered in, he finds a box of home movies in the attic that depict a series of grisly murders. He, co- he becomes obsessed with telling the story and inadvertently awakens an ancient Babylonian god who hungers for children. Next week, it's Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill's Sinister. <laughs> yes. <laughs> creepy fucking movie. I watched it last night. It's oof. it really gets uh, you. Man. How did you watch it? Voodoo. Voodoo. All right. I'll probably use that one actually to to watch that. Right on. Smart. Yeah. Until next week, stay safe. Don't murder anyone. And if you end up in a coma, maybe J Lo will go into your mind and wake you up. Or Vince we don't Vaughn. promise anything. Yeah. Or Vince Vaughn. Or Vincent D'Onofrio if you draw the oh, short God. end of the stick there. Yikes. <laughs> See you Friday. Peace.